And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, hey, everybody, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and we are so excited to welcome you back to another episode where this is really the program where we um, hear from some of the top thought leaders across the country on how to live out their Christian faith and how we can live out our Christian faith as followers of Jesus in the marketplace. And today is a very special edition of Bottom Line Faith. Um, we're recording this in the early part of September 2020, and we are on the verge of the 2020 Truth at Work Conference. And our theme this year is Building Together. And the event is all about what can we do to build our companies, to build our organizations in a way that glorifies God, but gives us exponential growth and sustainability. Because obviously, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, and the economy is tough, and the marketplace is tough. And so we want to equip Christians in business to really grow, exponentially grow their companies. And that's what we're doing with this year's Truth at Work Conference, which is uh, on Friday, September 11th. So if you're listening to this and you haven't got your registration for that, it is a virtual online event this year. So you can go to truthatwork.org forward slash conference. That's truthatwork.org forward slash conference. So what we're going to do in today's program is we're going to take a look back at the 2019 Truth at Work Conference. Uh, we've been running this event now for about nine years. It's become one of the premier Christian leadership events in the country. And so we're going to hear from the speakers from the 2019 conference. Let me just give you a quick introduction from each individual that you're going to hear from. We're going to hear from John Acuff, the New York Times multi-time best-selling author. John is one of the finest communicators in the country today. He's uh, entertaining and funny and energetic and those things, but extremely substantive. And I think you're going to love some of the highlight clips that we picked out for you to hear from John Acuff. So listen, I hope you enjoy today's special edition of Bottom Line Faith. We're going to hear from speakers from the 2019 Truth at Work Conference. A goal isn't a goal, a goal is a promise. It's a promise you make to your people, it's a promise you make to yourself. And so I wanted to figure out, how does somebody actually finish? An individual, a company, a team, a leader, how do you finish? And so I went to the University of Memphis and I commissioned a research study with a PhD there named Mike Peasley. And he and I studied nearly 900 people for six months as they worked on their goals. Financial goals, corporate goals, health goals. So that I could say, okay, if you really wanna finish, this is what it takes. And we learned some surprising things. The first thing we learned is you've got to get the size right. You've got to get the size of the goal right. We tend to overestimate goals. I meet people all the time that'll say, I'm going to get into running. I'll go, oh, that's great. And they go, yeah, I'm going to do a marathon. And I'll say, have you ever, you ever done a half marathon? You ever done a 10K, 5K, even just a K? <laughs> you ever done a K? Get a tiny little medal. They go, no. I heard an Eminem song, Mom's Spaghetti, I'm going for it. I'm gonna get a carbon fiber bike, wear tight clothing, so much information. <laughs> I'm going to Kona this weekend, I'm doing the Ironman in like an hour. And you go, I don't, I don't know if that's sustainable, I don't know if that's going to work. And part of the reason this happens is what's called uh, planning fallacy. Planning fallacy gets in the middle of these four parts of your goal. Because there's only four parts, but planning fallacy comes in. And here's what happens. You start to overestimate what you can do. You start to believe, okay, we can do more than we actually can. 
And it gets involved in your results, and your timelines, and your actions, your motivation. That's what planning fallacy is. You see this in certain industries like the construction industry. In the construction industry, they don't want to disappoint you up front, so sometimes they overestimate and disappoint you in the middle. But you have these four components, the results, what you want to happen, the timeline, how long it's going to take, the motivation, the fuel, the fire, and then the action, and then planning fallacy gets in the middle and it wrecks it. Because it tells us, okay, it has to be massive, it has to be massive, it has to be fast. Most companies that are successful are really good at results and timelines, which leaves us the other two parts of a goal, our motivation, our action. Now, the problem with motivation is we tend to believe a myth. We tend to believe that motivation grows during a goal. We think it's going to start here and only grow bigger, and unfortunately, that's not how motivation works. Usually, the very first thing to leave during your goal is your motivation. We studied when people quit their goals in a 30-day period. More people quit on this one day than any other, and it was day two. Day two. Why? Because on day one, the goal is just a fantasy. It's a wish. It's a hope. On day two, the work shows up. And part of it's how we divide goals. If you ask the average person, how would you divide a goal? This is how they think it breaks down. The beginning will be days one through 10. The middle, days 11 through 20. The finish, days 21 through 30. That feels right. Unfortunately, that's not how it goes. Here's how goals really break down for companies. The beginning is day one. The middle is days two through 29. And the finish is day 30. There's a whole lot of middle in every goal. So we have to figure out, as leaders, how do we lean into action? How do we make sure the motivation stays up? That was the next thing we studied. And this is the most surprising thing we found. You've got to make it fun if you want it done. If you want to finish your goals, you have to make it fun. Now, the reason this was surprising is most Americans think a goal has to be difficult or miserable to count. You ask the average person, name five words you think of when you hear the word goal. They say hustle, grind, willpower, sacrifice, persistence. They never say joy, laughter, engagement, fulfillment. And part of it is, as Christians, we should own that idea. I mean, we have a father who fixes problems with a party. The prodigal son story doesn't make sense in anywhere else other than the gospel. My, my favorite part of that story is if you read it, go back and read it, Luke 15, the father doesn't say a single word to the prodigal son. He doesn't talk to him one time in the story. When he asks for his money, it just says he gave him the money. When he comes home, he embraces him and then talks to the servants and says, get the fatted calf. How often when God is quiet, do you assume it means he's mad, disappointed, frustrated? What if he's got you embraced and he's just too busy planning your party? Like that's what our God does. We should own fun. I mean, the older brother doesn't come to the situation until the music and dancing and laughter is so loud he can't help it. What if that's how we ran our companies? We ran them with such joy and such fun that people couldn't help to go, okay, something's happening here. And I still haven't heard that. Like, very rarely do I hear people go, I don't love Jesus, but man, Christians know how to throw a party. <laughs> like, I don't love Jesus, but you talk about people that are funny and really love joy, like they, it's Christians. We should own that. So I wanted to be able to prove that that mattered in a corporate setting. So when you study something like this, you look at two factors. You look at your satisfaction and your performance success. Satisfaction, how did you feel? Performance, how did you do? Any leadership principle you hear, better raise both of those. Here's why. If I only raise your satisfaction but not your performance, you end up smiling all the way to last place. You know, we're failing, but it's so fun. <laughs> if I only raise your performance but not your satisfaction, you know what happens? You become every rich, miserable person you've ever met. 
You ever met somebody who's really successful and really unhappy? Do you know why that happened? It happened because they crushed number two and they ignored number one. And they told themselves, when I retire, then I get to be happy. I'll do 60 years of misery. I'll practice being miserable for six decades, but I'll get a golf cart, move to Florida, and it'll all change. Both of those factors matter. And I love getting to talk to CEOs about that heart factor, that satisfaction factor. So we said to the people in this study, make your goals fun. Make them fun. Let's see what happens. And, and here's what happened. People that did had a 31% increase in satisfaction, but the crazy stat is they had a 46% increase in performance. The fun changed their ability to perform. And I love this because now I can go to companies. I go to a lot of companies. They go, we're a serious company. We do serious work. They go, we're not Google. That's who they always use. They're like, we don't have ponies and like cotton candy in the lobby and like slides instead of stairs. We're serious. And I get to go, be serious. Do serious work. But just know that when you add joy to it, when you add fun to it, it improves your culture. It improves your performance. It helps your ROI. Michael Scott, the CEO of Pure Flix Entertainment, which is the country's top production company for Christian movies and entertainment. You can check the, uh, Michael and his team out at pureflix.com. We're going to hear um, how we can understand God's assignment for your life and learn the story of how God brought him to this great place of leadership at Pure Flix. I want to talk to you a little bit today about knowing God's assignment for your life. So often, I have people come up to me and ask me, you know, I'm trying to find my purpose for my life. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. I'm I just not sure, you know. I'm working, and I don't know how God can use me. And, and all these different questions come up, and people struggle with this for years and years. And some people never figure out what God wants them to do. And I want to take you on a little bit of a journey of my life, how I got to where I'm at today, but also the assignment God's given me. But how did I get there? And I think it all comes down to one verse in the scriptures that can give you three keys how to figure out what your assignment is in life. And let me read it to you. In Mark, in, first, in, Mark, in chapter 1, 16 and 17 of Mark, uh, I'm going to read it. As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said, and Jesus said to them, and there's three key things here, he said, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The three things in this verse I think are so crucial. He says, follow me. What he's saying is, I want a relationship with you. Okay? It all starts, as Fanchon was talking about, it starts with relationship. Once you have a relationship, then what happens, he says in the, in the next part of the verse, he says, and I and you will become, he starts a transformation process. And he starts to change you step by step. And that comes out of that relationship with God. And then lastly, after he's changed you, you get the assignment, I will make you fishers of men. So, so often we're looking, oh, what does God have me to do? Well, if you don't have the relationship and God hasn't changed you, you're not going to have the assignment that God's given to you, and you're never going to know your purpose in life. And I, I so often not, as being 
a CEO of a company, you know, I'm, I'm all about activity sometimes. I like to get things done. I like to see things moving forward, all of those things. So relationships sometimes can be hard for me. It's, it, activity is really easy. I can do a lot of things. But that's not what God's primarily called us to. The primary thing God has called us to is relationship with him. And sometimes in our busyness of the world and the day, we got to take a step back and we got we to gotta focus on a relationship. And we got to start with that. Are we willing to follow him? We all have to decide what are we willing to lay down to have that relationship. In Luke 9, 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim, the, um, proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And, and another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So God's saying, I need you here, present. I need you going now. I need you following me. I need to be in that relationship. What are you going to let go of? You know, we always hear about work. I'm going to get into a relationship with God. I'm going to go do great things for God. I just need to make a little more money. I need to be a little more comfortable. I need to get that next promotion, and then I'll be ready to serve the Lord. That's not what God's asking. He wants us to follow him right now. Get into that relationship with him. And once we're willing to let go of everything, then at that point, God can start his transformation, which is the second part of the scripture. He says, he says I will make you become the transformation. And in 2 Corinthians 3.16, it says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. As we get into that relationship with the Lord, he begins to transform us and make us more like him. Jeremiah Castile. Now, Jeremiah is a former All-American football player and a former NFL player. Uh, he played at the University of Alabama. And today, Jeremiah is the chaplain for the University of Alabama Crimson Tide football team. And you are going to be blown away by the clips you hear when he talks about in pursuit of excellence. Coach Vince Lombardi, it's one of his quotes. He says, if we pursue perfection, we'll catch excellence. So as I talk about pursuit of excellence this morning, if you'll pursue perfection, you'll catch excellence. Scripture says that Daniel had a spirit of excellence about him. I want to talk to you about excellence because that is our theme for our football team this year, the season. Our theme is in pursuit of excellence. You know, in practice, they have something they call perfect plays. That is, you practice and the coaches, the whole thing is you want that play to work perfectly. Now, we know it doesn't work like that in life or even in a game. 
But if you'll pursue perfection, you'll catch excellence. I had to have a spirit of excellence to start at the University of Alabama, and four years later, I'm an All-American. I had to have a spirit of excellence that, to get drafted and to start as, as a rookie in the NFL. They're not looking for guys 5'9", 165, 70 pounds. I can just tell you that right now. They're not looking for you. You're not, you're not prototype. So I had to have a spirit of excellence about me. What is excellence? Have you ever, th do, how much thought do you give to the word excellence? I'll read a verse of scripture. It's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This is our verse for the year, for our players. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Let me read that one more time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You look the word excellence up there in the Greek. Just kind of sum up the definition. It means beyond measure. We get the word hyperbole from it. In the Greek, it means hooperbolo. That is, you could, in competition, you could take a ball and throw it beyond what they could physically measure. Now, I want you to think about that for your life. When God, when God created you, he had in mind that your life, you would live life in such a manner that the body of work, when it was all said and done, that you had done would be beyond measure. So at 5'9", 165 pounds in the SEC and the NFL, I had to have a spirit of excellence about me. Otherwise, you're not in the game, bud. You can go over there and just, when them guys come off, you just squirt, you just keep the water bottle for them, man. You keep that flowing. That's not what I desired. That's not what I wanted. That, I knew that's not what God created me to do. Why is excellence important? Because from it comes influence. God wants you to have influence. What's influence? It's really the greatest power that you and I should be seeking. Influence is the act of power to produce an effect without apparent exertion of force or command. You reckon Coach Brian had an influence on me? How did he do it? By demanding a spirit of excellence. So I live my philosophy in life today. I got a lot of it I got from Coach Bryant. Somebody's influencing you. Excellence is important because you want to have an influence. What do you do with influence? Let me tell you what you do with it. You create a culture. You come to the University of Alabama, you know what you're going to find? A culture on our football team. When I got to the University of Alabama in 1979, there was a culture already in place. What's culture? It's a set of shared values, attitudes, practices, goals that characterizes 
an institution or an organization or a corporation. So every day you get up, you and I have a chance to pursue excellence so that we have an influence and we set a culture. So let me ask you, what is the culture like in your, at your company? Megan Alexander, who is going to talk to us about why Christians must pursue excellence in their career. Uh, Megan is a, is a best-selling author. She is also a national uh, news reporter. She's an Emmy-nominated uh, reporter. She is the uh, co-host on the, or correspondent rather, on the longest-running syndicated national news magazine show, Inside Edition. So you're going to hear from Megan about how do you pursue excellence in your career. So if you're thinking, what on earth is an entertainment news reporter from Inside Edition going to share with us today? That's okay. I often get that. But I think that puts us in a good place, a good place of wondering and asking the question, is it possible no matter what you do, no matter what your career is or industry, where you are in life, that you can indeed glorify the Lord, maintain your faith and values? I believe the answer is yes. I want to share with you my journey and then give you practical tips and points about how I think this can apply to any of us. Number one, know who you are. To the young people, I say know who you are before you get into this industry. What are your black and whites? What will you not compromise on? And then where's the gray area? When can you, where can you work the problem, still feel good that you maintained your faith, but yet still be a part of the industry? Know who you are. Galatians 6.4 tells us, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Know who you are. Write a mission statement. I tell the young people, just put pen to paper. What do you believe in? Black and whites, what's important to you? What are your boundaries? And if you've never done that, do it now. Currently, where you are in your job, what's your mission statement for your job and for life? Know who you are. My second point is do excellent work when you get there. Do excellent work. Christians must be excellent to compete at the highest levels in all industries. Our work must speak for itself. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10 says, make the most of each day. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it heartily. At the end of the day, I know that I have my job at Inside Edition because my boss thinks I'm a good reporter. I get to do this. I get to write this. I get to encourage this next generation of believers because he thinks I'm a good reporter who will make deadline produce that interview, get that story. Do good work to get that seat at the table in the first place. You know, I think we as believers need to really kind of give ourselves a pep talk about this. Um, Matthew 10, 16 says that we are to be as gentle as doves and as wise as serpents. And Mark Brunette, Mark and um, Roma Downey, who are role models of mine, who did the Bible series and they're doing all these incredible films in Hollywood, he was speaking to a room of us in New York City and Mark Burnett said, we've done a pretty good job with the gentle as doves part, not so much with the wise as serpents. And the definition of wise as serpents meaning be excellent, be creative, be thoughtful, get in there, take that seat at the table boldly in your industry. Do excellent work. Autograph your work with excellence, my volleyball coach in high school said. Third, find and create community. What's the first thing that goes as we're achieving in life and, or perhaps just trying to even keep that job? You know, as I said, you know, I didn't want to get fired, so you're coming in early and you're staying late. What's the first thing to go? 
community. What's the first thing that we start missing? Bible study, church, that Christian event that we wanted to go to. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you have somebody you can really talk to who understands your job? I mean, really gets it. Somebody that you can let your hair down with? I didn't for a long time. New York City is full of workaholics. We know somebody's coming around the corner to take our job. We're around the best of the best. We gotta work hard. So absolutely, I was 24-7 for a long time in New York City. And then the Lord set me up with another gal who works in our industry and we did dinner and we both started talking about, how's your soul doing? How are you feeling in this industry? Are you going to Bible study? And perhaps some of the ladies in the room can relate to this. We realized that most churches didn't offer Bible studies that we could attend as working women. 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning doesn't work for the working woman, does it? <laughs> That's right. So what do we need to do? Find and create community. Me and that lady said, let's start our own Bible study. And so for nine years now, in New York City, on the Upper East Side, I have met with 10, and it's now growing to be larger, women somehow in this industry. We, we decided that Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. worked for us. And we've gone through Beth Moore Bible Studies, Priscilla Shire, just gotten together for prayer and fellowship, create community. Sometimes that means you need to think outside of the box and find it yourself. I text those gals, they pray for me, we know what's going on in each other's lives. I can really ask them for their advice on a story. Should I do this, should I not, what do you think? Create your community and cling to it. Fourth is make room for the Holy Spirit. It sounds so simple, but I will be the first to say that I forget to invite God into my life and to my job. Make room for the Holy Spirit, be available. My husband and I are mentored by a wonderful man in California, and uh, he was just telling us the other day, he said, are you making room for the Holy Spirit in your marriage? The Holy Spirit is bored, people. He's saying, hello, I'm up here. Are you gonna welcome me down into your world? Are you welcoming the Lord? Something as simple as saying, God, just be with me today. I'm not exactly sure what we're gonna be doing, but be with me. 1 Corinthians 3.16, God's spirit dwells in you. He is real. Let him into your life. And what's interesting is God has really revealed to me lately that these tips, know yourself, do excellent work, find and create community, and bring the Holy Spirit in, it applies to parenting as well. It applies to parenting as well. And for me, that whole part of, of, of welcoming in the Holy Spirit, it's been as simple for me lately as just being there for my kids when they wanna express their fears um, and just feelings. And so, um, as uh, Fanchon mentioned, I have a children's book coming out Tuesday called One More Hug. And you think, oh, sometimes the world is so complicated and how can we read all the books and be the best parent we could be? Well, my, my season right now is it was as simple as my eight-year-old has been nervous to get on the bus now for several years, runs back for one more hug, mama, one more hug. He's the last one on the bus, constantly running back for one more hug, and that's just how I need to meet him right here today, is just offer up that reassurance of one more hug that I'm gonna be there. So if there's parents out there, working parents that are doing this dance that we're all doing of wanting to take that seat at the table and also be there for our kids, God's got it all, and I think these points apply to um, every season of life that we're in and every industry that we are in. Folks, maybe it's not so much about changing our profession, but changing our mindset, taking that seat at the table, welcoming the Holy Spirit in, and then letting God work through us. 
Coca-Cola Consolidated CEO, Frank Harrison, who will be talking about the power of a transformed culture. You're going to hear a few clips from him with thousands of employees across many states. They're the largest distributor of Coca-Cola products in America. That's Coca-Cola Consolidated. That's Frank's company. And you're going to love some of the comments that you hear from him on building a powerful culture. I want to challenge you to have an influence and an impact for God in your workplace. Profit, nonprofit, wherever you are, I want you to be challenged today uh, to have an impact for him. Billy Graham, before he died, said the next revival in America is going to be in the workplace. Seven out of ten aren't going to church. Everybody's at work. I want to see it in the church. I want to see it in the workplace too, though. And I believe there's some here today, including me, who just kind of need a wake-up call, a wake-up call to all God that's what God is calling you to do in the workplace. Ephesians 5.14, you might know it. It says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In other words, like, wake up, you who sleep. It's time to, like, take the seatbelt off, quit being so prim and proper Indianapolis, so politically correct, so restrained. I mean, come on. If you're not going to get strong for God this day and time, I mean, when are you going to do it? Uh, and I would tell you this, too, like, as we begin... Whatever you're going to do for Jesus, you need to do it now. I mean, quit putting it off. You need to do it now. Uh, I've watched the transformation process uh, take place at our company over the last 20-plus years. I've seen a culture so changed for good, for God, and for growth. My wake-up call 20-plus years ago when I became in charge of our company was simply this. I just understood without a shadow of a doubt that, Frank, someday, bud, you're going to be held accountable before God Almighty for the influence and the impact that this company has for God. We gotta take that first step, don't be afraid. Start a mentoring program, start a chaplaincy program, start a prayer groups. We have over 100 prayer groups. Can you imagine the next decade, the power of 100 prayer groups in our company as we pray for our people and our issues, problems? The power of that over the next decade versus not doing that? Oh, I, I can't imagine. Um, I want you to leave a powerful legacy at your workplace or wherever you are. The only one that really matters, of course, is the eternal legacy. And uh, how about this verse? Luke 12, 19 through 21. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So like, don't waste your life, don't withdraw. The Great Commission is alive and well. We've got to fulfill it. We've got to finish strong from him. One last verse, Luke, I mean, John 9, 4. I don't know the whole verse, but this part I know. The night cometh when no man can work. Like, your day is going to disappear. It's going to go. And uh, as I said earlier there, like, do you understand what day it is? Do you understand what time it is? Do you see what's happening around the world? Today is the day. This is the day to stand up and serve the Lord. Uh, and whatever you're going to do for Jesus, you know, if I can ever be of help to our people, please let me know. But, like, you need to go do it now. We start changing, you know, our platforms for ministry, our companies, our organizations. We start changing the marketplace. We'll change everything around here. And I do believe the next revival can be at your workplace and then throughout this city and this nation. Thank you all for listening. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. 
If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. Well, hello, this is Ray Hilbert, co-founder of Truth at Work, and we are so excited to invite you to register right away for this year's Truth at Work conference, which is on Friday, September 11th. Obviously, 2020 has presented us with perhaps the biggest challenges of our lifetime, both personally and professionally. The global pandemic has forced us all to reevaluate nearly everything in our lives, to take a step back, to inventory our priorities, and how to best maximize our time and resources. Well, I believe it would be safe to say that almost none of us have had to lead in times like we find ourselves in now. And we're all learning how to make the needed changes to pivot in today's business climate. Over the past nine years, the Truth at Work Conference has become one of the leading events for Christians in business. And this year, we're offering it all in a virtual online platform. And you simply don't want to miss it. And we have put together a truly remarkable lineup of thought leaders and subject matter experts. Every presenter has been hand-selected to deliver best practices that are going to help you grow your company and set yourself apart so that you can prosper in these difficult times. Now, in addition to our powerful lineup of speakers, the event features valuable breakout sessions so you can learn more about how to apply what you're learning. Come. Join us for the Truth at Work Conference as we are building together. Friday, September 11th, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Get registered today at truthatwork.org forward slash conference.